0: Who, scott how are those meat sweats <laughs> they, they, <laughs> i
1: was wondering if you were going to go
0: that direction because man that was a lot of worst Yeah, a lot of verst. The best verst. The best of the verst. (laughs) I guess we should clarify
1: here. We went out
0: to a traditional
1: sort of Bavarian
0: tap room last night. I guess first and foremost, my name is Garrett McQueen. What's your name? (laughs) Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy, true and real stories from the fringes of classical music. Shout out to all of the first-time listeners. Before we get into what we're going to talk about today, um, I got a note last week uh, from a listener who who didn't start from the beginning, just kind of jumped in somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And she heard someone, either me or one of the guests, use the word trill. In conversation as far as like true and real, I'm gonna keep it trill. And right. she, um, and she thought that, uh, that makes the title of Triloquy even more, uh, clever. Definitely a lot of work went into that, huh? Yeah. I mean, we, I think there was a whole day of us just trying to figure out what are we going to name this thing. So, yeah, shout-out to all the first-time listeners. Appreciate your tuning in to Triloquy. Um, Me and Scott were just talking about uh, the best of the verse because we we, we spent a little time um, at a Bavarian uh, beer hall last night. And it's actually where... the uh, the next edition of your project, uh, Hop Notes, uh, yeah. takes place. You want to just talk about Hop Notes for a couple of minutes, what that is? Hop Notes takes uh, classical
1: music and I pair it with beer because when you think about it, uh, a lot of the beer styles that we enjoy today were being consumed on a wide scale back when the likes of Mozart and Haydn yeah. and all those were, were composing. So uh, the connections go back pretty far so september this is um the month for Oktoberfest, and york brewing has a month-long party going on which and we York went...
0: brewing is the name of the place we were at
1: yeah yeah that was uh york's beer was the first minnesota's first beer
0: yeah and it was a great time so shout out to york brewing congrats to you on the next edition of hop notes how can folks uh listen to that when it comes out or even check out ones that you did in the past
1: uh, you can find it on YouTube just go to YouTube and search hop notes and you can also find it at yourclassical.org. org in the next
0: edition Scott even gets into costume so yeah. you definitely want to <laughs> <laughs> definitely want to check that one out uh, so today um, we're speaking with uh, my homegirl Jen Arnold she is um, well she was formerly a member of the Oregon Symphony in Portland Oregon uh, 14 seasons there she just uh, moved across the country to Richmond Virginia to uh, be an arts and for the uh, Richmond Symphony and uh, so uh, we're gonna talk about that and 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 why she made that move Um, but one of the first things we talk about in the interview is how specialization has kind of um, had a had an impact on classical music that isn't maybe so great so you know I'm my both of my degrees are specifically in bassoon bassoon performance but uh, what Jen was talking about was you know back in the day if you played an instrument you uh, wrote music, and you you taught, and you you know you did all that. Just being a musician was far more encompassing, um, and I feel like we're getting back to the stage, uh, or getting yeah getting back to the point outside of music, where that very particular specialization. Uh, can can kind of be a, a block, can can kind of be a hindrance, and you know what I think about is um, is my role here. You know, I, I was hired as a you know as an announcer as a radio host, but along the way, I just have to know a little bit about sound editing, and I have to know things like. Uh, microphone technique and and all right. that stuff. I mean, I, I'm I'm sure you can speak to, you know, needing to be an an engineer as well as a host, or needing, to, you know, especially with notes where we were just talking about, you have to edit video uh, in addition to. Sound. That's right. I did all the video editing. Yeah, That's right. What what uh did did that uh did all that sort of cross training, uh come to you formally or 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 did you uh pick it up along the way? It was taught in the
1: coursework that I did in okay. in some of the broadcast classes that I have, but also remember that I started taking broadcasting classes back when we were still using reel to reel tape, whatever that is. Yeah, so I was <laughs> I was editing analog, um, but I think uh, I think that it translated well to computers and that, and then obviously video came along. But before I moved here to take this position mm-hmm. thirteen years ago, um, just like you said. I had a couple different specialties, you yeah. know, that um, that nobody else could do. So I was doing the morning show. Plenty of people could do that. Sure. But I was also managing a student lab, you know, where all the students went in to edit their projects. Yeah. And here I was supposed to be getting up at 4.30 in the morning so I could be in to do the morning show at 6. And I had students calling me all hours of the night with questions, you know, waking
0: me up. And Where do you... Uh, are there, is there anything that you wish you did learn along the way in a formal setting that uh you had to just kind of pick up as you uh as as you went along you mean something with the job yeah or just in general well i guess with the job because what i'm thinking about i never um shout out to julie you know our 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 manager she has taught me a lot about delivery and how to say things and mm-hmm. how, you know, uh, uh, and and that's something, I guess, you know, phrasing and that sort of musicianship is something that you learn in music school, but, and I didn't go to school for radio, but it, it, it seems like that seems to be like one of the final challenges for many on-air hosts is really being yourself and-, and Presenting and, authentically. And, and delivering authentically. Do you think there's a, and, and you taught radio production. Is there yeah. a way to, to teach that or to reinforce that?
1: The big The biggest thing that you do is you try to find a person's individual strengths and then you train them to play to that strength. You know, there was a um, shout out to Jihad, one of my students. uh, He came up and he said, look, I'm not a very strong reader, Mm. but I have a passion for this and I want help. So he and I would go and work off hours, you know, on, on his delivery from a script. But the thing is, is if you got him on sports... He was unstoppable. Oh yeah, you know, so he could go off script if he had just some bullet points and he was familiar with it, like basketball, football, hockey, yeah. that sort of thing. So that's what we did. Was we, you know, and the, another one of my students was uh, she came from Brazil. Portuguese was her first language, so we focused on the multilingual aspect for her. So I, it was just an a, a, uh, an instance of just trying to find the person's strengths and then you play to that.
0: Yeah, and, and it's interesting that you that you're speaking about uh, personal and and individual strengths and and aspects because that's something else that Jen talks about. Um, Geographically, So, you know, she, like I mentioned, she uh, recently moved after living for a decade and a half uh, in Portland, Oregon. And when I think of Oregon, I think about, you know, keeping it weird. Maybe even the show Portlandia. 100%. Yeah, you're a fan of Portlandia? Yeah. I haven't watched every episode as much as I've watched every episode of maybe The Office or Parks and Rec. But right. it's definitely a, a cool show. And uh, it's interesting to hear some of my perceptions uh, reinforced by Jen. <laughs> <laughs> and as you know, when she talks about some of the um, how the uh, Oregon Symphony works to keep it weird and with all these orchestras, you know, having to deal with ticket sales going down, she talks about how ticket sales um, have only gone up there because they're just exploring some of these really uh, fringe uh, sort of things. She talks about a composer in our interview uh, named Gabriel Kahane, um, he uh they they recently recorded a work of his, an oratorio that deals with homelessness and houselessness. And she says that it's so uncomfortable that... Um, both nights, 30 to 40 people uh, would just get up and, and walk out of the show because they were that uncomfortable with it. But um, but I think it's just really cool that, you know, that symphony really not only engages some of the difficult conversations musically, but keeps things um, a little weird. And, and just to put uh, Gabriel Kahane's music into context, I thought uh, that uh, we could plug in one of his tunes here. So this is an excerpt from... Um, this is an excerpt from one of the movements of a piece he wrote called Craigslist Leader. And for, <laughs> and for those who don't know that word leader, that uh, basically means song. So Schubert wrote lots of leader, which, Tons. you know, is basically just song. So this is a song he wrote from the perspective, uh, it sounds like someone uh, writing or reading a uh, Craigslist personals ad. So let's take a listen to that. Neurotic and lonely, average height. Brown eyes slightly disproportionate. Brown curly hair, Jew fro. It's occasionally employed, anthropologist, chain smoking Jew. Currently living with parents, off from school, off from school, off from school. To deal with emotional problems.
1: I don't know if that one is exactly one for the casual encounters category, <laughs> or if it was in the M for W
0: or what. I I used to, uh, well, first of all, I see that you're versed in <laughs> you're versed in Craigslist. I am. Uh, I used to go into a Miss Connections. Yeah, those just, are great. And just search black dreadlocks just to see who like and there were a couple I, I found myself a couple times never responded of course because you never know who's behind that screen but shout out to uh, Gabriel Kahane who you heard there at the piano um, in that uh, excerpt from a tune he called Craigslist leader that um, that performance um, actually took place um, on an episode of live from here so shout out to Chris Thiele and all those folks for also uh, putting forward some of that weirder uh, music out for people to hear I
1: used to go to Miss Connections and just read, you know, because— Just to see what— Well, and to be honest with you, there was one point where I was thinking about writing a play, and it was going to be, you know, taking place largely online, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, sort of a a, a theatrical version of the Pina Colada song. Okay. You remember that song? I I don't know that one. Okay, so— everybody needs to go and listen to the Pina Colada song because that was a song from the 70s about a couple that's already together. They get bored with one another. They both place a personal ad and they answer one another's ad and they show up to meet each other. Okay. Right? All right. Except for in the song... Both of them go, oh, this is this is so us. This is
0: so cute. <laughs> okay, you know? the and pina colada never, song. Yeah, and it would never, <laughs> it would never go down like that. Oh, oh <laughs> of course not. Yeah. All right. Well, while I look up the pina colada song and figure out what that is, uh, we'll take a listen to my uh, conversation with Jen Arnold. Um, again, this took place um, at the Gateways uh, Festival. Uh, I guess this makes moving through gateways part three. Um, former violist with the uh, with the Oregon Symphony, current arts administrator with the Richmond Symphony Orchestra in Virginia, Miss Jen Arnold. Did you uh, did you start on viola? Start on violin. Okay. Yeah. I'm, you know, and I always hear about um, tensions between viola <laughs> players and violinists because, like, one of my friends, uh, shout out to uh, Rachel down in Knoxville, right. uh, she said, so she's she is you know is a first violin uh-huh. uh, in the orchestra but she gigs a lot on viola and she says that she has to make a point to keep it a secret that she's actually a violin player because she'll you know she'll get some bad looks or she'll get some shade
2: Have you, Well violas get weird about that i think right
0: are you worried about that
2: no i played both i think everybody should play both it used to be people played both yeah yeah
0: i mean but but it, it kind of seems like the uh, in that case, the viola is treated as the, oh, well, you need extra. Well, I'll go ahead. And, you know, it's not respected as much as the violin. Right.
2: I think it's just that. I mean, I think for a while it became that. But I think now it's so specialized that, you know, violas are just so great. Violins are great, too. But violas have yeah. gotten so much better overall. And I think it's just really specialized. And that can take me into the whole specialization in classical music that I think is ruining classical music.
0: We'll talk about that a little yeah. bit
2: I mean, we know in the history of classical music that people were well-rounded. Yeah. You know, people played all types of music, um, that they played multiple instruments. um, They could improvise and do all those things. And then came the, I would say, probably between, what, 1940 and 19, probably 2000. Sure. Where people were really... um, taught to learn one thing you learn baroque and you learn it really well you learn viola you learn it really well not violin and viola you know um people didn't become doublers in wins anymore right right right. they became really specialized at their one thing and unfortunately that has made i think it made a generation i don't think it's necessarily my generation but probably the players before me a little older Mm -hmm. um i think they didn't do as much you know and i mean they were just so specialized and marginalized in certain um forms of music you know um and i think this is where this reputation of the orchestra musician doesn't want to play the movie concerts so the orchestra musician doesn't want to play um, those would be my favorite the concerts i know right like i mean i love all concerts yeah you know the audiences are different yes and that's great um but i grew up being a well-rounded player i played everything yeah. You know I listen to everything, mm-hmm. and the younger people out there nowadays they do everything oh, it's yeah. great, and they're getting back into composing. It used to be what back in the day, everybody composed if yeah. you played, you composed um and I think someone was telling me that in conservatories like in the um early nineteen hundreds I guess um everybody had to write compositions to yeah. graduate, yeah you know, and now. Look at us. You know?
0: I, I want to shout out Lakolian because for my, I guess it was my junior recital, mm-hmm. um, he requires everyone to uh, play the Mozart, you know, one of our pieces, right. one of the bassoon pieces, but but we have to write the cadenza. That we we so great. We can't play a, a pre-written cadenza. Right. And, uh, and that, you know, I, I remember that night, uh, late night at the donut shop, I was too young to go to a bar, so we went to the donut shop, right. and I just scribbled down something, and it ended up being a cadenza, but, you know, that forced me into into doing that, yeah, you know, and this, you know, all this reminds me of, um, you know, on your bio on, uh, on the website of the orchestra you play with, you talk about, or it says that you think a music education is essential. Right. And, um, it seems like when we're talking about how things used to be and how things are now, Mm -hmm. that music education is at the root of that.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. I was listening to your podcast today and uh, with Lee, your conversation with Lee. He talks about how it used to be everybody played an instrument. Period. Right. I mean, and the piano thing. Mm -hmm. Like my grandparents, everybody had a piano. Yeah. Everybody did. You
0: just had one. You did.
2: You know, it might be the bar, bar slash piano, but it's the piano, you know, Um, and people played it. People were, you know, playing whether they played it well or not, but they sat down They knew where middle C was, you know, and they'd fill around on the piano. Um, I come from a family of musicians. Um, My grandfather was a jazz uh, saxophonist, and he was actually a founder of one of the founding members of the Black or the Colored uh, Musicians Union, Yeah, you know, when it used to be separate. And this is where you're from in Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I got a lot of things from him as a child. Um, And one of the things that was really uh he ingrained is that everybody should play you know like my my aunt played my um my dad played jazz piano he was in a jazz band uh my whole <laughs> Uh, childhood. He played on the weekends. Yeah. Both my parents were elementary school principals, but he was in a band, you know, on the weekends. So
0: you That's... come from not just a family of musicians, yeah. but a family of educators. Educators. Yeah. Wow. For sure. Yeah. That, that has, that had to have given you an edge when, when you, uh, when you look at where your career has, has gone, because they had a concept of what, you know, it could be for you when, when so many others right.
2: don't. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, just from a young age, everything that I do now professionally, they had me do as a young child. I mean, like, I always joke that my brothers and I never had a day off from school because my parents were in other districts. So Uh we always would go to their schools. And when we went to their schools, we'd always perform for their students. Okay. So I've been doing, you know, education concerts since I was probably five, (laughs) six, you know, playing my Suzuki songs. Yeah. When my brother was, there are pictures of us. My brother would play drum set. Um, a little bit for my dad's students or my mom's students. I'd accompany my brothers in Suzuki one, you know, like I play violin. My mom as a principal, she used to play for her students Oh wow. regularly, wow. like, you know, for at an assembly. She'd same thing actually with my dad. I forgot he used to do that, too. You know, like how many principals did you do you know that were playing? for their students.
0: You had you had parents who were principal, principals. Principal,
2: principals. <laughs> school administrators yes. playing for their students on the regular. Wow. You know, um, my mom was one of the first people to get that VH1 um, grant that they had for Was that Save the Music? Save the Music yeah. or something, yeah. yeah. My mom was one of the first people. Wow. Yeah, um, and they made music a priority, and they taught me that, um, yes, music in the schools may be dying, but if the educators especially the school administrators are behind these programs coming in their schools, the school will get it. Mm, They'll, mm. they'll, they'll have a better program. You know, um, I think that's why we see on good and bad. We see the community taking up what the, um, the cities can't, or the board of education can't, they may not have the funds for music. So we see what nonprofits coming into the schools now Hmm. or orchestral musicians becoming teachers where, because there are, you know, less music educators in schools. So we're the community is taking up, you know, the cause. But um, and I think and, it,
0: and that reminds me of what yeah. you know what we were saying earlier about how um, way back when musicians weren't so specialized, and then right. the specialization came up, and then right. now these days orchestral musicians have to be educators, have right. to be uh, event organizers, mm-hmm. ha- have to have to be so much just to keep it all alive.
2: Yeah, I mean. And should want to, honestly. I mean, (laughs) you should want to. I want, I'm, I, my life was changed with music. I can't imagine who I would be without it, you know, and that's what I think about when I say every child should have, be exposed to music, to play an instrument, because where you can go, I mean, you just never know. Yeah. I don't think. I would have ever left the country, honestly. I would have been a small town, you know, Ohioan. Yeah. It, not that that's a bad thing, but yeah. No know, shade, Ohio. No shade, <laughs> you know. But like, I can't imagine, you know. Now I'm a traveler. I love traveling, and I don't think I would have seen the world without people paying for it for it, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's a blessing, you know, and it's changed my worldview. And that's all because of music.
0: What, what, is there a, a place that sticks out in your mind as far as a place you, you got to go because of music?
2: Yeah. I mean, I was in the youth orchestra of the Americas for five summers, and traveling all over Central and South America changed my life.
0: As a teenager?
2: Yeah. As uh no, I was in my 20s. Okay. Yeah. Um, but a young 20. Yeah. <laughs> I think from the time I was 23 to t- still, 28. Still not
0: grown, grown, no. grown.
2: Yeah. yeah, 23 to 28, though. Okay. I still – I loved it so much that I was in the Oregon Symphony for – Three seasons, I still went. Oh wow! That's how much I loved really? It. Yeah, um, and it changed my life. I mean, the love of classical music in in South and Central music, uh, South and Central America, is so ingrained, I think, in people. And just the love of music in general. Yeah. You know, I mean, like it could be two in the morning, and you hear, you know, salsa in the street or samba in the street or some some type of music. But I've never seen people line up for classical music, especially a youth orchestra. Mm-hmm like i did in south america wow i mean people would wait like five six hours to get into the hall and to get tickets
0: what do you think the problem is here
2: um well i think there are a lot of things um where to begin (laughs) yeah you know first of all i don't think there's a problem everywhere okay i would say that i mean certain cities like the oregon symphony their ticket sales have been rising for years. Okay. Um, and I think it's because we do a lot of different things. Um, and I think we're, we're starting to be edgier, which I like. Look yeah. at L.A. Phil. You know, um, the West Coast orchestras, I think, have kind of the right idea about things. Don't be afraid to take a risk. Don't stay in the box. Yeah. You know, try different things. They're not afraid as much to do things that are political. Talk mm. about social issues. You know, and have commissions for about social issues. Um, They're a little more daring, I would say. So I think that shows because, you know, if you're talking about if you're commissioning a work or performing something that has to do with an issue in your community, people are going to respond to that, you know, positively or negatively. And then they're going to want to come and hear it. They want to be part of the discussion, part of the musical process. So I don't think everywhere has those issues. I think some of the orchestras that, especially orchestras, that are just doing the same repertoire all the time do. You know, yeah. like, I love Beethoven, right? Beethoven 2020 is coming. Mm-hmm. I love Beethoven. Um, I can play Beethoven 7 a billion times, probably, yeah. and love oh, it every favorite, single seven. time. 7, well, I don't know if it's my favorite of the of the symphonies. Yeah. I don't know. I love 4. Yeah, I could play it a good. billion times. I could yeah. play 9. I don't know. I don't 8. I, I mean... I can tell you which one's not my favorite. Okay. I don't like six. So no,
0: much. you don't like you don't like the uh, pastoral.
2: I just don't. It's not my. It's. <laughs> I mean, I like it. It's Beethoven. You, I can't hate Beethoven, but it's not my favorite. Sure, sure. I could leave that one for a little bit, for about a decade. <laughs> but. Um,
0: I I wanna I wanna get more into uh what you mean by this uh edgy programming or yeah. political So uh so first of all, how long have you been with the uh the OR I always want to say the Portland Symphony, but yeah. it's the Oregon yeah, Symphony. Yeah, Portland,
2: Maine. <laughs> yeah. But Oregon Symphony in, in Portland, Oregon. Yeah.
0: Okay, how long have you been with the Oregon Symphony? So
2: I just finished my fourteenth season. Oh wow, yeah.
0: wow. Yeah. Was that your first job? Yes. Oh, good for you. And, yeah, my
2: first full time professional job. Yeah. I was in other orchestras in Cleveland.
0: But right, right. Yeah. And you loved it so much you, you stuck around.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love, I mean, I was really lucky. I hear, I have friends in almost every orchestra and some of these orchestras out there, I hear horror stories about some of these, Mm -hmm. the treatment of the musicians, sometimes how musicians treat other musicians, you know, orchestras not getting along, like people leaving, the minute the downbeat's over, I mean, the last note's over, they're peace out, you know. Um, me (laughs) (laughs) okay see that's some people's experience that's not my experience in oregon oregon has the musicians have really been um we've been pretty tight um i know most of my coworkers. you know the names of their spouses and their children you know we're part of each other's lives and um we care about each other and i think that's so important in a work environment yeah and i had no idea that you know People didn't... Other orchestras weren't like that. No. Um, And I'm super lucky, so I can't complain, you know, um, about that. And things are changing in Oregon because they are not... They're not as afraid anymore of... Kind of tackling some of these social issues
0: yeah, because um, when, when I think of Portland, Oregon, I think of you know keep it weird, be right. very progressive yeah. be you know so yeah. but so in the fourteen years you've been with the organization you've you've seen them change and yeah. embrace more of these more of these difficult conversations quote unquote difficult
2: yeah because I mean well, if you know the history of Oregon, I don't know if you know the history of oh, Oregon oh yes, but you know <laughs> it was um a white state yeah right yeah so I took a wonderful um, tour, actually, the whole, I think most of the staff in Oregon and they invited musicians and board members to take this thing called the um, Portland Diversity Bus Tour, Mm -hmm. and what you do is you go to the, to, around Portland, and you see, and you talk about the history of Portland, Um, and it's troubled history, right? Yeah. And it's a really great tour I took, Um, but they show, like, I think on that tour, they showed how a lot of the... The old mayors and council people and all the sheriff and all the fire people were all KKK, signed, registered KKK members back in the day. You know, I mean, this was a long time ago, but this was still up until I think 1940, something like that. Yeah, well into the 20th century. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. you know, and they talk about that. And, And so that's part of the Oregon history, you know, and they're still dealing, I mean, with a lot of. Issues. It's getting better, for sure. But, I mean, still, it's, what, the whitest major city in America? Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so it has a history. Um, but it's been very welcoming to me, um, Oregon, and definitely the symphony. Uh, but I was going to say our board, um, like a lot of boards tend to lean conservative. Mm-hmm. I think maybe less so now because they're trying to diversify the board. But um, So you always have those issues, which right. are not necessarily open to taking risks, you know? Hmm. So we just did, we did a wonderful piece by, um, Gabriel Kahane, I think two seasons ago that we recorded that was about homelessness and houselessness. And, um, you should listen to it when it comes out. It has to. Kahane, David Kahane. Gabriel. Gabriel Kahane.
0: Okay. I'll definitely look that up. Wow.
2: So it's, it's wonderful. Um, it's a wonderful piece. Uh, and, People really – it was three sold-out audiences. People really responded to it. Some some walked out. I think the first night we had about – I remember seeing about 40 people walk out um, because there's some – you know. Was
0: it just – was there a vocal aspect It's an, orio- aspect, Sorry, it's or? an oratorio. Okay, I okay, said that. yeah. That's important. Yeah, yeah, it's an oratorio. Yeah. So – and, 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 for, and for folks who don't know what an oratorio is.
2: Yeah. It's um, a piece of music that has a narrative – is that how you would describe a sure. so oratorio? The, That's so, what the, I, so the Messiah the text, is yeah, an oratorio. oratorio. Yeah. 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 So um, and he uses. I mean, he talks about the financial crisis. He talks about what has led to homelessness. Yeah. Um. And it touches some people. I mean, it touched plenty of people. I mean, I saw people crying. Sure. Um. We had the Maybell Community Choir, which. um because he wrote a choral part, and then it's for a soprano as well, and three actually three voices. What am I talking about? Um, four four soloists, and then a community choir. And the community choir was made up of the staff of this Maybell Center, which is a wonderful um, organization that their goal is to touch. They they um, they work with houseless people, but that's not trying to get them into homes and, you know, resources, but that's not really their, their mission. Their mission is that human contact and social interaction one person at a time makes, um, will change lives. Yeah. So, yeah. And that was a choir made up of, so a lot of them were formerly homeless.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm definitely going to look that up. That's, that's powerful. And when I think about, you know, the relationship between classical music uh, and the world and music education, like we're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it brings me to, to gateways yeah. where, where we are now. And, uh, and you talk about being really lucky uh, as far as having um, a job playing with an orchestra mm-hmm. that feels like a family that mm-hmm. feels like a community right. and, and gateways feels like that to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how how about you?
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's like you come back and you see all your peeps and you're like, Hey, I haven't seen you in two years. What's up? What's going on with you? you yeah. know? Um, yeah, no, this is definitely a family. I have to say that, you know, one of the great things about being a black classical musician or a black person in general is that we all have different experiences, right? That's just yep. human experience. But people like to label, you know, and put us, oh, we're all kind of the same. black people. Right. We're all, you know, um, but we all know we have different experiences. My experience with classical music is that all my black friends were classical musicians. Oh, wow. Okay. So I have a different experience. Like... I know some people, they were the only one. I was not the only one. I grew up in a white environment, um, the suburbs. My parents (laughs) raised me in the suburbs. Um, And I grew up as one of the only black people in my school Hmm. my whole life. And um, that's an interesting upbringing. That's a whole other (laughs) podcast conversation. But for me, all my interactions outside of my family interactions were that were with black people were with musicians. Hmm. So my first friends, um, Larissa Payton Stevens, one of my best friends from my childhood, love her. Um, she started violin with me, you know, and it was like that my whole life. Like I had my interlocking group of friends Mm -hmm. that some of them play here. We had like a black click at interlocking, you know, um, things like that. Every camp I went to NOI, same thing. We had a little black click, you know, like those were my, my classical musicians were always my my uh, black group of friends, actually.
0: So how do you uh, traverse the conversation of exposing uh, new black audiences to classical music when black classical musicians mm-hmm. is just such a such a normal part of your upbringing?
2: Of my life. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I actually try to tell people that, like, for me, it wasn't a rare occurrence. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be a rare occurrence. Right. I mean, I teach at Sphinx Performance Academy in the summer and it's. It's black and Latinx students, you know, where it's a mix of kids. It's like there are kids who have never experienced other people of color with them. And then there are a whole bunch of kids that they come from environments where they do. They're at an all, they might be at a majority black school or something. And they have band. They have orchestra. You know, like they're used to it. So, um, like I said, not, I, I try to come at it as, um, I guess I would say that this music is for you. We've yeah. always been here, you know, um, how can we make you feel comfortable? That yeah. kind of thing. Cause this music is for everyone. And I think it's time we take ownership and we encourage audiences, especially black audiences to take ownership of, I belong here, you know, in this concert hall or outside of the, con- wherever it makes you feel comfortable, yeah. but don't feel uncomfortable because you belong here just as much as anybody else.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and But, I, I, again, I think about the people who, you know, did grow up as the only ones. And mm-hmm. even today they, they work and they're the only ones in their – the only, you know, black person in, in their orchestra. Mm-hmm. And then you come here to Gateways where mm-hmm. – everyone is black. Right. What do you, how how do you perceive the difference in those two experiences, yours versus the person that really does live in that world of, wow, I'm the only one.
2: For me, I know that I've had friends who come from primarily black environments that have definitely felt uncomfortable in in the white space of orchestra. Okay. Um, in their jobs, in their trying to get a job. Um, and that has been a huge issue for them to navigate that. I think it's something I, I just, don't understand because I have always navigated many different worlds comfortably because yeah. I grew up in a different world. You know, like growing, when you grow up in a white space, you learn how to navigate quick er, early on, you know, yeah. I mean, from preschool. Right. So for me, it was never uncomfortable. I shouldn't say that. I mean, there have been uncomfortable moments where sure. people have said race, crazy racist stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, but I've always navigated comfortably. So I have to, I do, but I do understand when people don't so this is for them this is a huge experience coming to gateways yeah yeah you know, it's a huge different experience for them for me it's more of a family experience like it's yeah. great to see people you know yeah but it's um, so
0: much more than that for you because you're um you're on the uh artistic programs committee so yeah. you you are a part you know you're one of the people that that uh keep gateways going right what what, in, what inspired you to take a, a larger role than just musician
2: well um I don't know if you know this, but I have a new job coming in September. Oh, what's that? I just got hired for a new job. Um, I'm going to be the director of artistic planning and orchestral operations for Richmond Symphony. Oh, wait. So
0: are are you moving across the country? Yes.
2: I've already packed my pod and it's being
0: shipped. You're leaving Oregon. Yeah, yeah.
2: So for a long time, I've actually, because of my time on the artistic planning, um, what do we call it in Oregon? Uh, Artistic... I can't even remember what it's called right now, but, oh, the AAC, Artistic Advisory Committee, Mm -hmm. um, and some other things I've done. I've been actually interested in artistic planning and programming for many, many years. Um, and I've been adding to my resume, trying to, um, just gain more skills and in arts administration so that I could have a planning career. So joining this programming committee, um, helps you know with that and it it lets me do what i have a passion for yeah um and when we have this retreat i guess after this um yeah after gateways yeah yeah yeah. so i'm i i mean we have this retreat and i'm looking forward to see what we're talking about for next year or the Mm -hmm. year after and you know letting my creative juices flow and everything
0: so Um, so you're you know you're leaving the stage mm -hmm. reminds me of you know of my story of, of so many other people's story mm-hmm. uh, what, is there is there difficulty there for you to think about um i mean i, I had to of, of course you will i can't say you will never you know do x y and z right. again but but right. the, the thought has to come across your mind like wow what if you know what what if i play my last concerto or mm-hmm. what if you know whatever
2: yeah, it hasn't. <laughs> okay. But mostly because I, I talk about this with my friends that I actually think that even though I probably had one of the most quote unquote normal track history with classical music, I started at Cleveland Studio Music at a young age, mm-hmm. had some of the best teachers my whole life, you know, went to the right summer camps, did all the things, you know. I yeah. was a scholarship kid, but I, I had the tracking, you know, um, the pipeline. So even though there was that I always had an element of being outside of what normal classical musicians did. Yeah. I was improvising when I was a kid, I played all the time I played everywhere, you know, in different types of things. I started earning money at a young age. Um, so I, that brings me back to like, I think that black classical musicians are never really in the box. We've always had multiple things going on, Sure. you know, yeah. because we've had to, honestly. Yeah. Um, and I think this is just another aspect of that. I have a ton of interests, and I'm sure you do. I know you do, too, yeah. you know? Um, so music has always been one of my instrument uh, interest, interests, and viola has been one of my interests, you know, yeah. but not my only interests. So music will never p- – the playing aspect will never leave. I want to play more in um, service to my community. Yeah. I've done a lot of that in Oregon, um, and I want to keep that part of it up. But playing for money necessarily isn't – I mean – I'm not rich so yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, I mean it is, might yeah. you know I might need to do a gig here and there or something yeah. like that but that's not my I've done that for yeah 20 years yeah you know maybe more than that um more than that actually but I'm only 21 so I don't know how that's possible <laughs> <laughs> me too <laughs> <You're> right <laughs> um yeah I just I have other goals in life and right now my my passion is working for artists making their lives better easier but also i was i just got to the point where i was tired of talking about diversity in classical music and not and all of us talking about the same thing but not being in these positions where we can make any sort of change yeah yeah you know and so i started pursuing a position where or in a in the business where i could be a be making the change,
0: yeah, yeah, and you you know you you use the word diversity a lot, and and you mentioned the pipeline mm-hmm. uh, a line of thinking um, that that i 've been on, especially since i um interviewed Lee, mm-hmm. was you know the idea that gateways is not a diversity initiative it 's mm-hmm. a celebration of. A black appreciation right. of, of classical music. Do you think there is a way to to sort of um, you know? A part of me hates the word pipeline mm-hmm. because it sounds so rigid. It sounds mm-hmm. like there isn't choice there. But right. for for the sake of this, do, do you feel like there's a possibility of a pipeline that leads to um, an experience for black musicians more like gateways as opposed to black musicians? Um, you know, being used to diversify non-black spaces. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think we have to be in running our own things. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I think. Yeah. I think we have to be running our own chamber festivals, you know, yeah. or being in somewhere in a position of power where we, or where we can, you know, have some say in what happens. Um, like Gateways Festival is a great example. I'm one of those people on the programming committee that, Really believes that gateways should be playing more black composers, honestly, I think we should be the destination festival for black composers yeah um, I think it would be well, we could talk about the future of gateways, but I have all kinds of ideas, you know, having a hub for composers to do a residency here and start yeah. writing some wor- works in Rochester, you yeah, know? think yeah. about the history of that. This work was commissioned by gateways in Rochester, yeah, you know, a hundred years from now, that would be amazing to have that legacy for. Eastman, you know, because yeah. they have that with Howard Hanson. Right, right. It would be great, exactly. It would be great for a black composer to have that history. Um, and it's, or and it's multiple, not,
0: I should say. And it's not that the Gateways uh, Festival Orchestra does not play black composers because, you know, I, right. I, I heard Florence Price live for the right. first time, you know, at a Gateways years ago. Right. Yeah. Um But you're right. It, it's not exclusively black composers. Right. What What does it mean to you that a stage full of black people are playing Rachmaninoff or playing Beethoven?
2: I mean, I think it's great if that's what the interest of the orchestra is. Yeah. Um, but I feel like that music gets played all of the time. Rachmaninoff. We played what Rock two, two oh,
0: years piano, ago. The, concerto, the piano. Yeah. yeah, I think it was piano the second. Piano
2: I love that piece. It's a favorite. Yeah, it's and great. I, and I do believe audiences should be exposed to great works like that. You know. But I also believe that we have a duty to promote our own work. I mean, yeah,
0: they had the opportunity yeah. to hear that Rachmaninoff anywhere. Anywhere, right? Yeah.
2: Every two years, probably, you know, or every three to four years. I just personally, like, I just would like, number one, okay, honestly, I think we add a different flavor. Like, if I play um, William Grant still Afro American Symphony with X Orchestra yeah. that has no diversity, right? it's gonna sound a little more dif- it's gonna sound different than this orchestra playing still symphony number but what
0: but people Be- people would challenge you on that mm-hmm. people will push back and say well the notes are here the rhythms are here right? I mean what is you know what what really is the difference well
2: the difference is if you you know you read an accent differently sure or the inflection is different in a phrase I've seen it happen all the time you know I've played works by people of color with different people of color and it's different yeah you know it's just the rhythm can be interpreted. The tempi can be interpreted differently. Florence Price is a great example of that. I've played her string quartet, um, the, the one that's unfinished, several times with several different people. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, it is definitely different with um, people of color, playing it with people okay. of color. Um, I say that because it was a, it was Latinx and, and black. Sure, you sure. Know? Um, it was different. It's a different flavor. It's a different, different tempo. And it's you know, it's just a different feel artistically both are great but i'm just saying it's a different feel and i just think that there are just so many unrecorded works out there
0: oh lots Um, yeah and
2: i think this orchestra should be doing them yeah i think we should be um promoting our own people i think not only just that though um i'd like to see other orchestras their artistic planning people come here to hear a new work like you know Oh, this composer, I've heard a lot about them. Why don't I come to Gateways Festival and listen to the Gateways Orchestra play that? Yeah. You know, that's what I mean. Um, Sounds
0: like a call to action.
2: Yeah. I just think we could do a lot of great – we do do a lot of great – I should say, Gateways Festival is wonderful already. Absolutely. The experience is already wonderful. I'm just thinking in the future – and there's always room yeah. for growth. There's always, there's always, there's always exactly. ways
0: to be better and to yeah. be more enriching and more yeah. engaging. Uh, so what are your, um, so in your new position that I've just learned about yeah. uh, over <laughs> enrichment? um, what are your first 50 days look like? Do you have a game plan?
2: Um, <laughs> emails. Um, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> no, I mean, I already actually did a week of onboarding a couple weeks ago. So I've met most of my staff, which is wonderful, um, and the staff in Richmond is is lovely. So um, I look forward to meeting the musicians of the orchestra. Number one, hearing yeah. some, you know, hearing their first concert. I, um, talking with the musicians in the orchestra, um, and seeing, you know, what we do well and what we could do better. I look forward to um, planning. You know, yeah, future yeah. seasons. That's what I really look forward to. But it's not just um, the
0: musicians that you plan to engage, right? Oh no,
2: it's soloists and
0: um, I guess the pieces on the program. I guess and, what I'm getting at is is more about the boards again, and mm-hmm. and kind of breaking up the conservatism that yeah. orchestral boards tend to have.
2: Yeah, I don't know how much it, it'll be interesting to see because that's not that's really more of the executive director, and developments. Departments, kind of things, but I don't know my, what my interactions will be with the board. Hopefully, I mean, I believe that um, the board is—it's really important to engage the board as a musician and as a staff member. Mm-hmm. Um, but every orchestra is different about how they run things, you know. Right. So we'll see. Um, I think it's important for your board to be invested in and uh, in the organization. So. Knowing if the board knows who everybody is, every musician, that's great for your orchestra because, you know, um, I always tell the story. um, But in Oregon, we do a really great job as musicians um, talking with audience members and Mm -hmm. board members and things like that. So much so that if one of us is missing for like a sabbatical, like I did two years ago, Mm -hmm. our executive director made an announcement. About, I wasn't the only one, but there were two, I think three or four of us on sabbatical in one year. Okay. And he made an announcement so that the audience would know, like they're not fired or they're they're okay, yeah. you know, they're just gone for the season, you know, because people will email and be yeah. like, "Where's Jen? I don't see her." Yeah. You know.
0: But now Portland, Oregon, and and Richmond, Virginia, mm-hmm. you know, culturally are mm-hmm. are very two places. Yes. How how, how, do you, how do you plan on dealing with that? Do, do you foresee any issues or any challenges? I
2: hope not. I'm I mean.
0: Or advantages, you know, yeah,
2: one of the reasons I took the job is because they seem pretty progressive on the mm. east Coast. I like that for especially I mean the smaller orchestras in general, I think um the lower the smaller budgeted orchestras sure. seem to be a little more adventurous anyways, yeah, um but this orchestra Richmond I mean, they're exactly what I'm about. Um, they're trying different things, they have a great um five year plan. Um, strategic plan they're talking they're they're actually really trying to make a difference not only um with programming and hiring of artists but also in their community i i I like orchestras that do a lot of community engagement work Mm -hmm. and when i like orchestras that the musicians like doing the community engagement work you know and they do a lot of great things so that's who i want to work for people who who really believe that that music is vital to people's lives, you know I mean, no matter what type of music, it's
0: certainly been vital to my life, yeah. you know, and yeah, so many more people um, before I let you go. Um, so now that you're going into, you know, the, the offices yes. and the boardrooms yes. of, of classical music, I have to ask you about mm. um, the, the Baltimore symphony mm-hmm. uh, situation. So yeah. as we, you know, as, as we speak now mm-hmm. that, you know, it, it's all still a mess. And mm-hmm. I mean, what, what, what is, what is your opinion or what is your take on that situation?
2: Um, my take on that situation. I have a lot of thoughts. Um, I, mean, I guess my and
0: and if, and if I can just throw something right. out. My, my main thought was how it's problematic to um to seek the help of a community that you didn't engage when things right. were fine.
2: Right. Um, there's a lot of different things I think about that. Number one, I think the community you're talking about, Baltimore. I had to look this up because I've been following the Baltimore lockout. Um. Baltimore is like seventy percent black, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't seem like that is reflected, and I don't even mean just as musicians in the Baltimore Symphony, but anywhere in the organization, doesn't seem like in the know, offices, in the, offices, board, in the certainly audience. certainly not the
0: programming.
2: Yeah, yeah, the programming, any of that. So um, there is the Orchids program, which is is doing really well. Yeah, but um, I just find it. That's a, that's something that needs to be talked about, and I don't know if that conversation's happening. Yeah. Um, and I think that said, lockouts are horrible, horrible. And on, let's
0: and, and just and just for the you know folk that the folks that may not know, let's talk about quickly the difference between a strike and a lockout.
2: Right. So a lockout is when the orchestra management. Um, Your contract expires, and the orchestra management basically says you can't work because there's no agreement. Mm -hmm. Okay, Um, a strike is when musicians um, don't come to the agreement. Right. So they choose to strike. Um, So,
0: so this is the situation, and and again, as we speak now, maybe by the time you know this is airing, um, it'll be changed. But the situation right now in Baltimore is a uh, is a lockout. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes.
2: Yes, I personally think that. Um, I definitely support the musicians. I definitely think that, um, locking out anybody, musicians is not the right way to go. Um, it really ruins people's lives, you know, financially, (laughs) healthcare wise. I mean, it adds stress, you know, that's, it's never good when people lose their jobs. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or have a work stoppage. Um, I do think I I, I have many thoughts. I Some orchestras run where they really want their staff to do all the work, and musicians just want to play. I don't know what Baltimore's situation is. I don't really have any friends in that orchestra, so I can't even... Like, yeah, neither do yeah, I. Yeah, I don't know really what their inner situ- situation is. That said, if I was a musician in that orchestra, I would be out there all the time, like, and not just in a work stoppage. Yeah. You know, um, I would have... As we in Oregon, we do this. We we have many committees, and we want to know what's going on, you know, yeah. for many different reasons. And one of these reasons is because you just never know what people are planning, mm-hmm. you know. We know in we know in orchestra history, if you cut your orchestra, it's just it leads to more cuts. It's just not. Yeah. It's just not great. It's one, you don't have a symphony orchestra. Two, it creates a lot of different issues with musicians and injuries right right? you have people i mean there's it's a really deep you know thing to go into um but i do think that when hopefully baltimore will go back to work soon and i hope their musicians think about their community and what their community really is you know because it doesn't seem like that is being talked about yeah yeah you know i mean like saying we're going out in the community what communities are you going to like you said right how are you engaging those communities um and
0: and that's and that's the only reason I was uh, you know uh, wagging my finger at mm-hmm. the musicians is mm-hmm. is that you know it seems like it's just all too late now, all of this work that could have been done. Mm-hmm. And even me, you know, as an orchestral musician, mm-hmm. maybe I wasn't personally engaging um, the community as as much in that regard, mm-hmm. but I definitely understood what the community was right. and who these people were and, right. and how we could engage them. Right. It just, it, I don't know, it just feels like a missed opportunity yeah. to me. And like I said, I hope by the time this airs, they're they're mm-hmm. doing fine, but... Um as of right now, it just seems like they should have been should have been, should have been. You know, yeah. you can say that all day.
2: But. Yeah, but I, I it seems from the outside, like I said, I'm on the outside, that their staff they, they it seems just like they leave it to the staff to handle. Yeah. So maybe that can enter the conversation in the future, that musicians are really proactive about, wait, we want to be in this community. We want to engage with this community. Um, we should be. We want to. How can we?
0: Yeah. And then again, to you know bring it back full circle, we can't just be musicians. Mm-hmm. We have to be so much more. We have to be multifaceted, especially those of us with a little melanin, mm-hmm. because there are other issues that we have to deal with outside mm-hmm. of, you know, the, the the strict music business of it all. Mm-hmm. So um, for people who want to, you know, keep up with what you're doing or, or, uh, or learn more about the work you're going to be doing with the Richmond Symphony, how can they uh, find out about <laughs> you or find out about that? Uh,
2: I guess... Follow me on Twitter. <laughs> okay, what's your That's Twitter? That's like my real social media. I don't do Facebook. Facebook is the devil. Um, <laughs> I'm at 24 carat viola.
0: 24 carat viola. Yes. Is, is there some gold on your viola?
2: <laughs> there is not. Okay. Um, except for the notes that come out of it. <laughs>
0: oh, yes. Amen. Amen. Well, Jen, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>
1: Jennifer Arnold in conversation with Garrett McQueen here on Triloquy. Garrett, can I just say one thing about the homelessness project that sure. she said that she worked on? Sure. Now, I think it it says a lot that people got up and walked out, right? Okay, so it was obviously hitting on some level that they felt like they needed to get away from it. Fight, I, or, it, fight or flight, right? Right, either they didn't understand it or this isn't for me or whatever it is. The, walking out on something like that, um, people who say, I'm going to take a break from the news for a little while. That's a form of privilege, okay, to be able to do that. So before you get up and walk out of something like this, just check your pri- privilege for a moment and remember there's some people that can't walk away from what you're about to walk away from.
0: I don't know if you remember my relationship with that topic of... Uh Escaping the news as it applies to my job here. One of my right, one of my very early temper tantrums was was that we were expected to put together a feature of music to get away from the news. You know, back in the midterm uh, yeah. election cycle, and I made it very clear why I did not want to take a part of that. Uh, uh, you know, participate in that project because a we should never. Well, you can't do it if you're affected by things in the news. A, and B. I hate to see that for classical music to be used as an excuse to escape. So, yeah, um, yeah what what Gabriel Kahane uh, is doing in collaboration uh, with the Oregon Symphony uh, in that regard is, is some really phenomenal stuff. Uh, you know, a, a part of me, um, it, it kind of makes me a little sad. To hear that uh Jen is leaving that group, but you know, she's on to, to do some of the important work. Um I, I have other friends uh in the Oregon uh symphony, you know, so I'll I'll uh, I'll be sure to visit them. Have you have you ever been to Portland, by the way?
1: No, the closest I've been is Seattle.
0: Yeah. See, I've, I've, I've only just uh, had a layover flight in Seattle, but maybe we ought to um, plan a trip over to to Portland sometime. We could smoke all the legal weed we want. Well, I'll be,
1: I'll have to uh, <laughs> take out a mortgage on my house for it to be able to afford the trip. But well, all it right, can we'll be go. Pricey.
0: But yeah. if we do make it, we can also um, drink pina coladas and get caught in the rain. Right? <laughs> that that seems like something that can happen in Portland. Right. Go and <laughs> listen to Escape, Escape the Pina Colada song. Yeah, it's it, it's a cool tune. All right, so. So um, no pina coladas next time on uh, Triloquy, but I do get to um, speak with Melanie Dotson. She uh, hosts the morning concert down at WUOT, my former stomping Ground. So, uh, on the next episode, Triloquy, uh, Scott, we'll both kind of talk about um, our old stomping grounds and how we got here. And um, I'll speak with Melanie. She um, she's taught me a lot, you know. And and we, when we talk about having a seat at the table, being in the room, and getting these different perspectives, she really taught me a lot and opened my eyes to the discussion of gender equity, specifically in classical music. Mm-hmm. So we so we talk a lot about um, women composers. Why Um, Some men feel like their art is under attack because we're uh, focusing, uh, trying to focus more on women these days um, and all that sort of thing. It'll also be their uh, pledge drive or their membership drive um, shout out. So we'll also next time, Scott, talk a little bit about our experiences with membership drives. I like that smirk on your face. (laughs) You're thinking of something. I am. It's coming up next time on Triloquy.